Patsy Duncan. This is Mike Duncan sent my wife a text this week. And she said, I know we're talking about marriage, but she told us something that I'd never heard before. She mentioned Mayberry. That rings a bell with everybody, doesn't it? That little fictitious town uh, where that ongoing drama continues to be displayed day by day on channels all of these years. And she reminded me of something I didn't know. I guess I'm not reminded of something I didn't already know, but she informed me about the inhabitants of Mayberry. And all of us would, would love to go to Mayberry. Wouldn't you like to spend some time in a real Mayberry where everybody knows everybody, everybody loves everybody, they don't have any big problems? And she said, look at the characters in Mayberry. Let's see if we can name them together. There, there's Andy, and there's, of course, Barney, and Opie, and Aunt B, and, and Floyd, and Goomer, Goober, and Gomer, and uh, uh, Otis, and Floyd, and you get a whole name of them, and notice something about the characters. All of them were single, except Otis. He was married. He was drunk all the time. <laughs> I don't know what that says, but we're going to get to singleness as we've been talking about marriage, and we've been in the deep, deep refines of relationships. That's what it's all about. I thought, what if you and I had a GPS system by which it was directed right to Almighty God, and we'd ask God to give us the way to live, the way to life. We'd say, God, I know you're there. I'm sending you this message straight to your throne room. Give to me, give to us the way to live, the way to life. Would you be interested in the answer? I know exactly what the answer would be. In the Bible, he talks about the broad way that leads to destruction. He talks about the narrow way that leads to life. And his son Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Lord, show us the way we are to live, the way from here to life forever. And the signal would come back, and I believe that he would send to us 1 Corinthians chapter 17, no, chapter 15, no, chapter 13, because we know it so well. 1 through 13, the great love chapter. Now, we go to weddings sometime, and Usually they'll have some member of the family to stand up in a pious little voice, read about love. And we'll say, isn't that sweet? 
this is what love is. Love is this, and love is this. You could have a little music playing under it. But when you read this 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in context, it's a whole different thing. Because we've been studying Corinth and the city of Corinth, and we knew how decadent it was, how international it was. You had people all over the world who came there. It was a booming city, an affluent city, and entrepreneurs go to cities. Those who want to move on in life go to cities because that's where the action is today and that's where the action was back there in the first century. And so we see Corinth had all kind of understanding of love, primarily love that we call erotic love, eros, physical love, noted for their sexual immorality. Ancient Corinth was so decadent that it would have made Las Vegas look like Jerusalem. Wild, woolly, all kinds of distortions. And some of that had infiltrated the church. The church was made up of all kinds of people. And they had all kinds of conflicts in the church. People would get drunk while they were at church. How about that? That's the church at Corinth. They were suing each other in the church, brothers and sisters, over matters of the law. There were lawsuits all over the church. They had conflicts about incest. They had conflicts about who'd lead this and who would do that, who would direct that. And so therefore, it was a church that was full of gifted, talented men and women and young people, and they had all the spiritual gifts operating. What are the spiritual gifts? We look in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, there's a whole list of them. When people come to faith in Jesus Christ, many times their talents become spiritual gifts. And therefore, all kinds of gifts were operating in the church. And Paul says, all gifts are equal. We have different kinds of gifts. And he used a beautiful analogy of the church as the body of Christ. And some may be a little finger, some may be a big toe, some may be an eye, some may be an ear. And how it all works together the giftedness God gives us to operate in his kingdom, in his body, the church. And so there's a whole list of these gifts in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians and another list, by the way, in Romans chapter 12 and other places mentioned just so, sort of spasmodically throughout the New Testament. Now, we come to the 13th chapter and it is a parenthesis. It is within a parenthesis. Look at it, if you would, if you have your Bibles with you. We go to the 13th chapter, and we go to the last verse of the 12th chapter. Paul says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. That's our word, right? Way. I'll show you the excellent way. That's one end of it. The other end of it is the first verse of chapter 14. Follow the way of love. So you have 1 Corinthians 13 defines and tells us about love, and it says, find the most excellent way, and then there's all the chapter on love. The other end of the, 
uh, enclosure there in the parentheses, it says the, the master way, the excellent way is love. So we gotta talk about love. Love is like sex. We talk about it, we think we know everything about it, but we really don't. I'm gonna have several series of messages on that, so hang on, bring your asbestos suits with you. But love is so confusing to most people in the modern world, and it especially was there in Corinth, and it also is today. You find some people say in the Greek language they had nine different words for love, some say eight, some say six, various, various understandings of love, but in the Bible, there are only three different words used for love. Eros is used in the Old Testament, that is that sensual love. In the New Testament, we find the word phileo, friendship love, I love you as a friend, and then you find that big, broad, pregnant, magnificent word called agape. And that word, according to J.I. Packer, is almost, almost unique. That's not really good English, but I think it fits. It is almost unique to Christianity. It is a sacrificial love. It is a total serving love. It is a total unselfish love. It is a love willing to lay down your life. It is a love that will go to any extreme at any time and any place for anybody. Whoa, a unbelievable word for love, agape. And all the way through the New Testament, this is a word that describes a Christian. We are to have agape love. Now, this is one of the times when I run into that and I say, Lord, that's far beyond my capacity. I mean, I, you know, what in the world? What kind of love is this? I mean, that, that's, that's so high and wide and impossible to me and I'm sure to all of you to have that kind of overwhelming love until we begin to understand that love is something you do. Uh, and 1 Corinthians is a verbification. Big word, verbification. And that word means that you take a noun and change it into a verb. It's a verbification. And 1 Corinthians 13 is a whole chapter of that. A noun is changed into love. Illustration, Google, search engine, right? But you say go and Google something, the noun becomes a verb. You say the word party, a gathering of people having fun, party. But in the 1980s, you go and let's go party, party a noun becomes a verb. And so you see here, we have love is a noun, but the verbification of it, it becomes a verb, it's something you do. And 1 Corinthians 13 is all about action. Agape is not an emotional thing, it is an action thing. That's where we get confused. 
How do we get agape? Man, I found in 1 John a very little verse there that says when we obey and live by the word of God, we receive God's love, agape, and we are complete. And we're going to run to the word complete in just a minute. We obey God and receive this kind of supernatural love. It's not such an emotional thing. It's something that we can do. We can practice. We're motivated by. When Christ comes into our life, the Holy Spirit dwells in our life, we just begin to overflow with this kind of selfless love. And it's supernatural. And this is what Paul describes to us magnificently in the little parentheses there in the 13th chapter. Look at it, and it tells, first of all, that love is indispensable, and Paul begins by talking about himself in the first person. Look at it. If I, Paul, speak with the tongues of men or of angels and do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I speak in the tongues, in Corinth, they had people all over the world. They spoke every language, every dialect. Paul said, if I had the ability to speak in whatever language, whatever tongue somebody would have, man, that would be something. I could communicate eloquently like that. He said, even if I had the language of angels. And by the way, all of this is hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to get everybody's attention, to, to wake everybody up. Paul was saying, if I had this kind of ability to orate and speak in any language at any time, but I don't have this agape love in my life, all that I'm doing is a gong, boom, 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 or clashing symbols. In other words, it's just noise, right? If I, if I don't have love, though I have this great ability, it's just noise. Then he goes on, he said, he said, another if is there. He speaks up, he said, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. What's he saying there? He's saying, if I could understand Gnosticism, big in that day, if I could understand mysterious things about God and all the workings of the world, he said, that would be good. But if I don't have love, wouldn't mean anything. He said, if I had the faith to move mountains, and that means that if you had the ability when you were in a meeting or in a situation where everybody was boxed in, it seems there's no way out. And this suggestion, that suggestion, Paul said, if you had the ability to see through that and the faith to find answers in that situation, he said, that would be big and important, wouldn't it? We've all been there, boxed in. He said, but if I even could move that mountain, as a tremendous leader, he said, if I don't have love, it doesn't mean a thing in the world. You have nothing. And then he says, 
if I give all I possess, verse three, to the poor and give my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I am nothing. Listen, what's he saying? Take everything you've got, everything I've got, and we give it to the poor people. They have less, they have nothing. We just empty all of our resources here. I give it all to you. Boy, we would say, man, there's a Christian. Boy, that person really sees something. I so admire this kind of sacrificial living. Paul said, even if you do that, you don't get one point with God. One point with God. And if I go out and I become a martyr for the faith, I stand up when everybody else is sitting down and I stand for God in Christ on this biblical principle and I am martyred, he said that doesn't amount to anything either. Because he's talking about motivation, ladies and gentlemen. When you check motivation, well, Edwin, why do you preach sermons? Huh. Oh, why do you sing solos? Oh. Why do you give money? Whoa. You know, why do you visit the sick? Hello. Why, why do you listen to people? Why do you counsel? Why do you reach out? Why do, you, why do we do all these wonderful things that we do in the body of church? But if we do it without love, it's just noise, has no meaning, no significance, and somehow we can do it to say, hey, look at me. Oh, it's subtle. We know how to engage in humble bragging, do we not? We know that about, we can brag humbly. Well, I hate to bring it up, but uh, the humble brag. Paul says, if we don't have this agape, we don't have this agape. It's nothing. And a little graph will tell you exactly. Without love, great giftedness, doing all of this stuff, minus agape equals zero. It's noise, nothing, nothing. Now that should shake us up, shatter us. And let me give you a little simple illustration. It's from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon said there was a great king, and a man had a little garden, and in his garden he'd had for many generations in his family, suddenly there appeared a large carrot. And it was so beautiful, he said, I'm gonna give that to the king. And he took the carrot and he went into the throne room and told the king because he admired him and he loved him as his monarch, this is the finest thing that he's ever seen produced in his garden, and he wanted the king to have it. And the king expressed his gratitude, and the man turned to go out, and the king says, wait a minute. I see that you're somebody I can trust. Next to your little garden, I've got a 1,000 acres of land that I never used. I want to give it to you and let you use it, and your garden can become a beautiful farm. And the man was overwhelmed. Well, a nobleman was listening in. He said, huh, for carrot, he got a 1,000 acres. Woo, I raise horses, 
And he said, man, I've just had this beautiful stallion. I'm going to give that to the king. And so he took that stallion to the king. He said, king, I I so honor you. I want you to have the most magnificent steed that I have ever bred in my farm. I want it to be yours. The king says, I see through you. You saw a carrot for a thousand acres and a beautiful horse. You thought I'd give you more. You brought that horse to me for yourself and not for me. Now that's a simple story, a simple story. But we have to be so careful about our motivation. And without this agape love flowing through your life and my life, all of this stuff becomes nonsense. But when that agape love is flowing, man, beautiful things happen, especially in the body of Christ. And then we get a clear definition of what love is. You say, well, what is this love? He tells us clearly. Look at verse, verse number four. He said, love is patient. Time out. We go to church, we hear words. Oh, love is patient. Well, I'm not patient. Listen, stay around patience for a while. Love, this kind of supernatural love is patient. Man, I looked at that and said, oh, Lord, I've got a million miles to go. Love is patient. And then love is kind. Don't you love to be around people who are just genuinely kind, genuinely thoughtful, genuinely listen? Love is kind. Are you kind? Am I kind? Am I patient? Are you patient? See, we have to take this and let the Lord work in your life and in my life. And then he tells us what love is not. It does not boast. Hmm. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Oh, I have a temper. No, no, no. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Man, you know, this, that, that's the third time he's done that. I'm telling, no, no, no. Remember, I thought about Peter. He went to Jesus trying to brag. He said, Jesus, are we to forgive people seven times? That was a big thing. Jesus said, oh, no, 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 no. You know, you, you to give people seven times 70, 40, 90 times, and there's no end to forgiveness. We do not keep a record. We just are a forgiving people. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Do you ever delight sometime in somebody who had cut you down, neglected you, deceived you, exploited you, and you hear that, boy, (laughs) she got what she had coming to her? That ever happened? Oh, yeah. Delight in evil. And then it says, it is always protective. In other words, we said, this is what love is. This is what love is not. This is what love does. It is always protects. It always protects. Love always puts an umbrella over people. I like that. We're protected. Love is protective. It's protective. This is what love is. Patient kind, this is what love is not. And then we see what love does. It 
is protective. It's always protective. It always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Do you see how high this is, but how magnificent it is? What does that operate in your family, in this church, in relationships? Would anything be different? By the way, this is what heaven is like. It's just full of agape. It's full of love, full of joy, full of celebration. So we see Paul says very clearly, if I have all this, don't have, I have love, doesn't mean a thing. He uses hyperbole. Then he says, this is what love is. This is what love is not. And this is what love does. He gives us four things. And then he says something that's boom, over the top, staggering. Listen to this. Verse number 14, he says, love never fails. Your translation might say something else. It, it, it may say, love never ends. It may say even, love never falls. That's a strange word, isn't it? But, but love never does fall. We talked about falling in love, but love never falls away. Love just keeps on coming. The more we practice love, we don't run out of it. The more love we get. Begin to move with the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life, in these areas, amazing things begin to happen. It's supernatural. Love never fails, never ends, never falls away. The more you use it, the more you begin to get in this agape sense. And then he moves on and explains it even clearer. He says, but there are, when there are prophecies, by the way, prophecy used in the Bible is used to foretell the future, and it's used to tell forth. Prophecy is more proclamation than it is prediction by the future. When you see the word, pro well, they're no, no, it's proclamation. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, maybe glossolalia there, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Then I'll love this ninth verse. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears, and he mentions part again down in next to the last verse. In other words, everything we have now is in parts. Here, we got a part of this, we know a part of this, we've experienced a part of this. It's like having a giant puzzle then Paul says, look at that word. When completeness comes, remember 1 John? We, we obey the Lord, we get the love of God, and that love completes us. Or oh, when maturity comes, your word may say perfection. What does that mean? All these parts, with agape love, they begin to come together and there is a completeness there. There is a maturity there. There's a perfection there. And all of a sudden, you and I in Christ begin to function and live in a way we never thought possible. Never thought possible. 
think a beached whale. I've seen pictures of that. Big old whale, thousands of pounds on, on the beach in the sand. And that whale got that thousand pound tail, whapping the sand. Katow, katow. Man, you get under that tail, you're in trouble. Katow. And the, and the whale is moving, giant, thousands of pounds, digging deeper in the sand, exhausting itself. That whale is not going to thrive on the beach. But somehow, I've seen it, they get those big whales when they're beached and they put them back in the ocean. <laughs> Have you ever seen a whale operating the ocean? It's, it's unbelievable. It's like a giant submarine that's moving at, at speeds and accomplishing things, jumping out. And, it, and that big tail that was ineffective in the sand, derogatory in the sand, dangerous in the sand, in the sea, it is a powerful, powerful thing. That's what happens to us when completeness comes. You see, all life begins to come together. And there's maturity there. There's an understanding there. And this part I didn't get over here in my life, boy, I begin to see how it fits over here. And that which I could not comprehend, and that which I thought was terrible, all that completeness comes there. And then he talks about what this maturity is. He talks about child, children. He said, but we know in part, and when we prophesy in part, but when completeness, there's our word, comes, what is in part disappears. Then he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man or a woman, bar mitzvah, whatever, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Listen, when I was a little guy, I played marbles. A lot of you, maybe you got it. I played marbles. I'd climb trees. I built forts. Man, I fought everybody that would come by. I had a little sword. I was a child. You know, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I lived like a child. Nothing wrong with that. But you know what? When they showed me a football and a basketball and a baseball, you know, I didn't spend time shooting marbles or building forts or climbing trees. I just, that was all behind me. It was over. That's what happens to us in Christ. We grow up, we mature, and there's a completeness there. There is a wholeness there. That's what agape does to us. That when our motivations get proper, that's when our motivations become pure. That's when our motivations in life become knowledgeable to God. He says, that's my boy, that's my gal, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my family. Completeness comes. And then he moves on in this passage and he says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, another one of those parts, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In other words, by the way, Corinth made mirrors. They were known for mirrors. They would take steel and shine it, and they would look at it, and you would see an image a partial image, 
And in that day, they would take bone, and that's what windows were made out of bone. You could see out, but it was blurry. You could see an image in that polished steel, but not clearly. But Paul says, once we'll see face to face. Face to face. You see a picture, then you see face to face. Boy, that's something. That's the anticipation of us graduating and being with God and somehow, some way, we have an image, we have an experience with God in Christ, but one day we'll see face to face. And as we have known, we begin to know. The word know in the Bible is an intimate word, a relationship word. Adam knew Eve. Boy, that's intimacy. And to know, it says, as we have been known intimately, so we begin to know intimately, and we'll see face to face, and we'll get assignments from God all the way through eternity. And then the last little verse here is a powerful verse. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, wait a minute. You mean we're going to have to have faith in heaven? It remains. These three remains. Absolutely. Because in heaven, you see, we're not just float around with our wings, folks. I'm sorry to tell you that. That's not going to be the agenda. In heaven, we're going to be able to fulfill all that we didn't get to fulfill on this earth. Man, all of it. And he goes, and we have to have faith that, boy, the next eon that we'll have, what God will give us faith to grow and expand. We don't shrivel up. We don't say the same. That's the faith is an act. We have hope of we can't imagine what will be. C.S. Lewis said if we met somebody we've known all of our life and bang, we'd be before them in heaven, it would be such a magnificent specimen that we want to bow down and worship because there's a whole new resurrection body there, a whole new resurrected life there. We'll know as we've been known, and we'll have to have faith, and we'll have to have hope, and we will have to have love because all of heaven's domain is filled with agape love. Can you imagine it? You know, I thought about just taking people out of the audience here and bring you somebody and say, man, just love this person completely. Love that. And we just go around and boy, if that was an atmosphere, whew, it'd be fire and lightning and joy and celebration. When we walk in one another's shoes, we pour ourselves into another life. Man, that agape love is overwhelming. And by the way, remember, this is the way we're trying to find the way, aren't we? We, GPS, sent to God. He said, the way you live and walk is love. I can't do it, but he begins to love us, and that love flows in my life and your life, and it flows out in the lives of others. It is something we do. It's action. When we decide to live our life God's way. Paul Anka Young man then became friends with Frank Sinatra. He would write some music and words for Frank. And Frank told him, 
Toward the end of his life, he said, I'm through. I'm finished. I'm tired of everything I do, the acting, the singing, the, the drama, all I'm involved in. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm through. I, I'm throwing it in. I'm finished. The end is near for me, career, everything, I know it. So Paul Anka then went to France and he heard beautiful music. And the words were in French. He didn't know what the words were, had no idea. But he went and found the one who wrote the words in music and said, I want that song. And so the French author, composer said, well, I'll sell you the music, but I won't sell you the words. He didn't want the words anyway, but I didn't know what they meant. So Paul Anka brought back this music and he thought about Frank Sinatra. And so he put words in that music that he thought described the life, the biography of Sinatra. And he called Sinatra, who was at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas and says, Frank, I'm sending you some music with some words. I want you to sing it because I think it fits your life. And Sinatra did, and he called up Paul Anka a few weeks later, and he says, kid, listen to this and see what you think. And he sang my way. I did it my way. Paul Anka said, he cried. The sad thing is, ladies and gentlemen, in England today, the most requested song to be sung in funerals is my way. And my way is as secular and as godless, the words are, as anything you would ever hear. It shows how far England has fallen into a godless, atheistic, almost society. I did it my way. 2012, some of you may remember, I took the music from my way and rewrote the words. I changed only about 10 words in that beautiful music and it's amazing, absolutely amazing how it comes out. So let me try to walk you through that. 10 words from a secular godless song to a song that is totally different, which is my testimony and the testimony of many men and women here who have found the way of agape and are finding the way of agape in their life. So, and now the end is near. So I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear. 
I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more and more than this. I did it God's way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, with love forgiven, I did what I was called to do and saw it through without exception. He planned each charted course, each careful step along the highway, and more, and so much more, I did it God's way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there were doubts, he took the cross, he lived it out, he faced it all, so I stood tall and did it God's way. I've loved and laughed and cried and had my fill my share of losing and now so tears subside i find it all so amusing to think i did all that and may i say in my way oh no oh no not me i did it god's way for what is a man and what is he got if not the Lord he has not to live that life of one who kneels and say the words that he reveals the record shows I took my blows and did it 